Yeah, this was going to be my biggest buck in Georgia, and I and I felt like that. I, I definitely was going to be my biggest buck uh, as far as my biggest buck with a bow. So anyway, uh, got a shot at him, and he ended up gross scoring 161. So I, I got him. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host Danny Ferris, and today I've got uh, my buddy Evan Williams, Hoyt pro staff manager with me and our special guest today is one of my favorite people in the entire bow hunting industry it's travis t-bone turner from bone collector travis how you doing brother good guys good i've been so waiting for this podcast oh have you really well we've been trying to get this one done for a while i know i know we it's it's been a long time coming i've been waiting for this one too travis do you remember the first time me and you met um, I know it was many years ago, but to remember the first time, no, I couldn't. Well, I, no I bottle of wine involved, was there? No, no. I mean, <laughs> we were we were both being pretty good, I think. Um, it was at the Outtech Innovations, and it was like the I think it was maybe year one of no, it was before Bone Collector. Um, and I ran into you at Outtech Innovations, and I man, I distinctly remember the first time that i ever saw you and it was on the real tree videos i can't remember which monster bucks it was um it was like five or six maybe and travis played a character on there um that loved fish sticks <laughs> and yeah. he was on there with jeff foxworthy yeah and long, that was a long time ago Yes, a very, very long time ago. And was that the first time that you had ever really showed up on any media? Um, well, as far as uh, from bow hunting and a hunting standpoint, yeah. I mean, before then, I had shot uh, professionally and, and had a few TV appearances and a few podium appearances in the 90s and such. But yeah, um, as you know, Realtree had asked me to be a part of their uh, Monster Buck series, which has always been so popular for years and years and years. And uh, that was in like 1999. And they wanted me to play a sidekick character to Jeff Foxworthy. And, and there you have the, the legend of T-Bone was born. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was really funny. They had you wear those that, like buck teeth and missing teeth in that thing. And it was a, it was a funny character, but uh, you know, come to find out later on, as I learned a little bit more about you, you owned an archery shop. You were a serious 3d or a serious competitive archer. Um, and I don't think that there's a lot of people who know who T-Bone is from bone collector who know what that background looked like. So yeah, tell us kind of how you got started bow hunting and when and, and just a little backstory. Well, just real quick, I'd gotten a bow when I was uh, for good grades when I was about 10 or 11 years old. And um, from that point on, I, I don't think I got good grades anymore for that. So <laughs> um, I had a recurve and it, the recurve was a little bit too much. And then, uh, so I kind of set it away. You know, so many people get a bow and they, they shoot too many poundage and they, you know, they don't get up set up exactly right. So they have a, uh, a bad experience into getting into archery. And that was kind of the way I was being 10 or 11 years old. I was just bending the string and watching arrows fly. So um, I kind of put the bow away for a little while and always had hunted and fished, you know, squirrel hunted and deer hunted with a gun. And then right out of high school, I was 18 or 19 years old. Some buddies of mine had asked me to start bow hunting with them. And I um, bought a bow on a Wednesday, the guy that owned the local range there. He um, was there asking us about, you know, if we'd wanted to shoot in competitions and 
none of my buddies ever had. And I certainly never had. I was just buying my first compound bow on sure. a Wednesday. So we went that Sunday and trying to make this kind of quick. Uh, we all competed in the novice division in a 3D tournament. And um, out of 37 or six people in the beginning division, division, I was just happy I beat the guys in my class, in my in my um, group, you know, the five or six guys walking around. And we turned our scorecards in, and lo and behold, I was first out of all of them. So I'd owned a compound bow for five days and beat everybody in the beginning class. And I'm like, man, I ain't never been good, but it just hula hooping and, and, and floating. <laughs> <laughs> you I were, said, you were hooked. I, I shoot a bow pretty decent. So from that point on, I just couldn't get enough of archery. I mean, I basically was all in it. I'd spend more hours tinkering with bows and shooting tournaments and practicing more so than, you know, working my nine to five job. So I worked for uh, Mercedes Benz in Atlanta for nine years. Uh, knew I didn't want to do that for a living. Got me a two-year degree in HVAC and knew I didn't want to do that for a living once I graduated and uh, went to work in an archery shop, took a huge pay cut. and But, you know, I was doing something I loved. And I, my, my dad and mentors had always said, if you pursue a passion, you'll never feel like you worked a day in your life. And and that that's what I did. And, and you know, Opened my own store, had my own store for 12 years, started working with Realtree guys and became friends with Michael and Nick. And we started Bone Collector and wham, you know, 25, 30 years later, here we are. I'm talking to the legend, yeah. Danny Ferris. Oh, my goodness gracious. You know what? I was one thing that just dawned on me, like, dude, you don't seem to age the only time that I see you where you look like you're older than you were 20 years ago is when you have these readers on. <laughs> yeah. And, I, yeah. and I don't have mine on right now. Like the audience can't see you right now. You got them on and I can throw mine on and I got my grandpa look going. But yeah, man, you, you look you look just like you did 20 years ago. You can't hardly can't, can't hardly tell. Well, I appreciate it. The fat just pushes the wrinkles out. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you, brother. I hear you. Well, uh, yeah, like I said, it you know, seeing you as that in that comedy role the first time, and then finding out that you were pretty doggone hardcore, and meeting you at the ATA show, uh, and, and then watching what you did with Bone Collector, and I think I told you, you know, years ago, man, you know, number one, I've got a lot of respect for. There, let's face it, there's a lot of the TV guys out there who they get a bow in the mail, they take it down to their pro shop, they set it all up for them. If they had to do any of that stuff themselves, they wouldn't have the first clue. I like seeing guys that have <laughs> Evans raising his hands. Uh, so you are definitely the hardcore. You know those bows in and out. Matter of fact, uh, you're still taking care of, you know, bow, bow tuning and bow mechanicing for a, a bunch of your buddies. I see you on social media all the time doing that kind of stuff and yeah. taking it from, from ground zero, you know, bows in and out. Yeah, it's, it's been my passion. I mean, ever since, you know, if you're going to be a competitive tournament archer, you know, it's, uh, it's more than just shooting, actually. It's kind of a combination between NASCAR and golf. You have to suppress your nervous energies. You have to work on, you know, your form and your, your, your mental by all means. But then again, you need to be a, uh, you know, you know, a good wrench too, as far as building a better mousetrap. I mean, all, all three of us and probably half the people listening, you know, they, you know, it's just a, 
there's a huge pride factor that goes along knowing that you're the one setting your bow up. You're knowing how to make the better mousetrap and the tuning. And, you know, no matter how good you get and no matter how lucky you are, you can always get better. And that's the great thing about archery. So, yeah, I I just couldn't get enough of it, of of working on bows. And and that's what kind of got me in the door or uh, in good graces with Realtree is working on their bows. You know, I'd went to them. um, We're only 45 minutes down the road. And I told David Blanton, I just, I said, you know what? He may slap me right in the face, but I'm going to tell him, you know, you see so many ads in in magazines and stuff like that where people would draw the bow back and the peep side would be above their eye or their anchor back here. And that would just bother me so bad. And I told, you know, David Blanton, I said, look, I said, you guys are a premier hunting outfit. You got the best show, you know, going on right then in TNN and ESPN days. You know, you watch Monster Bucks and Realtree. I said, you know, you guys are going, uh, you know, and, and getting set up at, at a lot of these mass merchant stores by, you know, guys that you probably know more more about setting a bow up than they do. Right. I said, I'm not saying I'm the bow god, but by all means, let me be the liaison. Let me help any guests that you have or yourself get set up. And, you know, if you're doing photo shoots and stuff like that. And he said, you know what? That's absolutely right. So thankfully, he, you know, took my suggestion, whatever. And we just ran from there. So I said all that to say that's kind of got what, what got me in the bow hunting and outdoor industry slash, uh, you know, television side of it. And, and I love it, you know, so I'd sold my store in 2006, me and my wife, we were building our house in 2008, 2009. And the only dimension I said is I, we've got to have 25 yards in the clear in the basement for an indoor range and a shop. And she goes, well, you sold your store. Why do you want to shop in the basement? I said, even if I'm dipping septic tanks for a living, I'm going to be turning wrenches and working on bows. I said, I love it. I mean, as long as I can, I'm going to be doing it. I mean, I just love setting up bows. And to your point, um, even even to this day, I'm still setting up, you know, 40 or 50 people's bows, friends in the industry, um, people that work in the industry, celebrities. I want them all to have a good experience. So therefore, they spread the word about how good archery is. And we all know. That if you get set up correctly, you know, whether the proper weight, draw length, it's and everything, more fun. Oh, it makes the experience so much more. And then, yep. you know, everybody's got it in their head that's never shot before. You know, a lot of these celebrities, I, have, they think that, oh man, I got to shoot like three and four days a week. Now we want them to shoot that much by all means, but they're so amazed that if you set them up properly, you take them outside. And, and literally within like 10, 15, 20 shots, you're having them shoot baseball size groups at 20 and 30 yards. They're so amazed. And it's just it's uh, so rewarding to see the the gratitude on their face. Right. Right. Well, I might need to take a trip down and see you sometime. <laughs> soon. Right. Um, no, uh, you know, speaking of bows and you, you know, your way around a bow, just like we've been talking about. What do you think of these new Hoyt 2021s? um are you as excited as i am i really am and uh actually um thanks to uh jeremy and of course with evan you know they they put them in our hands uh several several weeks ago so i've had my time of playing with you know three or four of them and getting them set up and extremely quiet um my thoughts have always been you can't make a bow too quiet and man oh man is this thing quiet um i think if you've seen one of the one of the uh YouTube things we just put out with a uh, bone collector is sounds like an old man spitting a loogie. It just goes, and that's it. <laughs> that's, all, that's all it is. Yeah. And, uh, it's quick. Uh, the draw force curve is just so, um, it, it's so 
consistent and it's simple all the way through the whole cycle. So, uh, you know, you, you, I, I tricked Waddell, I, you know, usually he, he pulls an 80 pound bow and we usually set it 75, 76. And I said, I said, well, here it is. What do you think? You know, he didn't look at no label. He had no idea. And he says, yeah, he goes, it ain't, it ain't making 70. Is it man? It's only like 69. They sent a 70 and I'm like, dude, it's on 77 pounds. He goes, no way. It's right. so smooth. So, um, you know, between that, the hard wall, I mean, just every little thing, uh, usually innovation wise, they're always so inv- innovative and Hoyt's usually, you know, dropping three or four or five dimes on a new bow, but man, they just, they pulled a whole bunch of stuff out of their pocket and they piled it on there and we, we've got a home run this year. The amazing thing to me is that, you know, archery is typically a, uh, a game of compromises. So if you want more performance, if you want more speed, you're going to pay for it someplace else. You're going to compromise something else. You're going to compromise feel. You're going to compromise vibration. Somewhere else, there's going to be a compromise. And it's almost never that you don't perceive any real compromise anywhere. This right. one... You know, this this uh, this Ventum 33 that I'm shooting, it is amazing because yeah. I'm picking up that extra performance and the things that you would expect to compromise on. Not only is there no compromise, they've gotten better. There's yeah. less vibration. That draw force curve, it, 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 it like Michael was saying, he's you know pulling 76 pounds is what you said he was pulling. He didn't think it was 70 pounds. That's right. There's, there's no major drop off into the well. You know what I mean? There's you're, you're, you're not rattling teeth anywhere. It's, it's amazing. They did a, they did a fantastic job with these bows this year and I can't wait to get out after it. And I know that you have probably worked on just by virtue of the fact that you got sent your entire team's bows several weeks ago and you have wrenched on more of them at this point than potentially anyone else in the country. So I knew it would be good to get your feedback. Yeah. So uh, the two biggest takeaways that I have from them is one, which we've already talked about is uh, quiet, extremely quiet. And then also uh, the draw force curve, but then the vibration, you know, it's so dead in the shot and it's so comfortable. I mean, it it enables you. And a lot of people say, well, you know, that's, you know, some people say, well, that's not that important. Well, you know, all these things are splitting hairs and all these things add up. If it's a more enjoyable experience and it's quieter, you're going to have more confidence. So therefore you're going to want to shoot more as well as you're going to perform at a higher level too. So uh, between the, the, I, I call it the honey badger cam. I know probably Evan and them are probably <laughs> struggling. <laughs> Go it's, for it. It's the HBX. So it's HBX. Uh, the, yeah, the, the honey badger cam. <laughs> it's just uh it's like a family it. podcast but it's just bad it's bad let's put it that way <laughs> yeah yeah for any of you that haven't had a chance to get your hands on them yet and i would say a large a large portion of the of this audience hasn't because most of the dealers right now i think have basically one of the four or all four of the flagships in but that's that's about it unless you've been down to the shop and shot them you don't know what we're talking about yet this is the year where this isn't a bunch of smoke and mirrors, folks. You you need to go down to your dealer and shoot one of these things. Um, yes. This is we just got done doing a big podcast on it with the engineers just the other day, and I don't want to turn this one into another uh, into another twenty twenty one bow podcast. Um, but I wanted your input on it because you are you you've, like I said, you've worked on more of them than anybody this year so far. 
Yeah, binary cam system, uh, all new cam system, uh, something I, I always try to wear my because uh, I was a shop owner and, and I really uh, my heart is with the independent dealer, which Hoyt does so well as far as embracing and showing so much love. And, and you know, that is the the heart and soul of archery is a good mom and pop independent archery. retailer. That's where you're going to get your knowledge and that's where you're going to get, you know, set up correctly and have that great experience. This is going to be so dealer friendly because the, the has such a wide adjustment of draw lengths. You don't have to stock a bunch of modules. You're not going to have to have a ton of SKUs. You also can change the, the, the let off, which is not just let off as far as a module. It's a draw stop all in one. So yep. you're keeping the, the good solid wall at 80%, at 85% let off, and you're adjusting that draw length, um, you know, I think it five, five and a half inches on each module, which is going to fit just about everybody, you know, uh, the, the masses, it, the, the meat and potatoes has went from two to two and a half inches to five inches of range. So that's going to help dealers a lot to be able to stock more models that fit more different people. And with Hoyt's engineers, you know, I'm sure they talked about it the other day. You're not sacrificing anything. Uh, each draw length is engineered for the most performance in each draw length. Right, so each right. Shot spot in there, so uh, you're going to get peak performance at no matter what draw length it is. And with the binary cam, wherever it's set, because you have power modules versus slave modules, if I'm using the right tech terminology, uh, Evan, mm-hmm. uh, it stays in time, it stays in tune, uh, like no other. So when you set it up, you know, within the first 50 shots, it's going to be the same bow, you know, thousands of shots later. Right, right. Yep. And that is one of the unique things with the binary system is those cables load the same when it comes to the added tension through the draw length. So with a cam and a half system, what I like to do and what I talked to a bunch of guys into at all these shows that we go to is, you know, to increase consistency is especially if you're a harder puller is advancing that top cam. You don't want to do that with a binary because there is an equal load distribution between those cables. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's hard to get your head wrapped around because we have been so different over the last almost 20 years. Um, and that's one thing I wanted to ask you T was having come from the cam and a half for as long as you shot it with those pro shop goggles on when you were tuning these bows, what are your thoughts and feelings on no longer having a yoke system? Now that we have the shims, did you even have to shim any of the cams on the bows that you've worked on? Thus far, I have not. Um, and I anticipate that. You know, I mean, I anticipate it's it's different. Of course, you know, the yoke system was so easy to tune because it's all outside of the axle and it's, it's outside of in between the limbs. So it would be real easy. You know, it was real easy to, uh, to tune. And again, it's just something we've been doing for 20 years, you know, or 15 years. So um, there's a there's a learning curve there as far as you know, having to respace if needed. You and I have had some long conversations about that, Evan. So um, I have not had to do that yet. I mean, I, uh, I'm blessed to say that that everything seemed to, to shoot good or either Michael, Nick, or Tyler just has weird hand torque and it may be tuned right on in there for him. No, everything that we've set up so far has been, been, been good. Yep. And I, I've shot both the 30 and the 33. Um, I took the 30 on my elk hunt in Colorado and the first trip to Kansas and then built a 33 when I got back from that first trip. And of course I did, I did spacer swaps and move things and took notes on how much stuff was moving. But ultimately like I had my chart for 
where they're going to leave at the factory, but factory back together, built it around that and never really had to at all. Um, the, me and playing with shims was more for my educational experience than for a necessity. So. Yeah, and and just like uh, reverting back to years ago, whenever I would play with yoke tuning, just to see, like uh, you know, so many people when they tune, they 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 tune in little minute steps. You know, like when they'll move the rest, they'll just move it a sixteenth of an inch. Whereas I'm the type of guy that I'll move it a full eighth. If I get some responsiveness to what I'm doing, I know that somewhere from where I started to where I just made a big jump, mm-hmm. it's going to be a happy medium. So I always go extreme one way or extreme other. Yep. Now, I've yet to just take a day and just swap all kinds of uh, – I've yet to do some of the, the gorilla tuning, if you will, because uh, we just have ended up with our season. So I was uh, – I, I fortunately had already killed two bucks here in, in Georgia, so I was dough hunting. But uh, – the times I took my bow out, I was trying to kill a doe, a doe with it. So I didn't really uh, tinker with it too much. It was tuning pretty good. It was grouping really well. I was getting great groups all the way out to 40 and 50 yards. But now that it's kind of a downtime, I, yeah, I plan on playing with some of the shims and just, just seeing where it goes. And like if I switch it around where it takes me so that I have that mindset of whenever I'm working on bows, I know what it does. Because once we learned how to yoke tune, it was so simple, you know, so it's, it's just a getting used to. It's a little different um, with the binary cam. I think what you're actually doing is because of uh, um, everything's on, on top. You're just basically changing the pressures on the limb tips. Am I correct by saying yeah. that? Like yeah. all you're doing is just changing the, the pressures on that. And, uh, and, and the way, and the way to, I look at it, Travis, the way I yeah. look at it is when we were yoke tuning, you were basically moving your string left or right. Yeah. And, and all we're doing with those shims is the exact same with thing. You're just moving that string left or right and you're just doing it a different way. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, it, and it a little, a little and bit to wrap your head around, but it's pretty easy. Yo, it's, it's real easy. Uh, and you kind of know what you're doing. It's just a different way of doing that. And something that hasn't been talked about, that I'm going to, that I'm going to, you know, because we're so early in the 2021 is limbs, Hoyt's limbs are so superior as far as deflection and being consistent in deflection. That's why I don't think you're going to see too much because, you know, um, and, and I can honestly say this guys, I mean, even when I was a dealer way back in the XT 2000, 1000, 3000, to this day, as many bows as I've worked on, I have never seen a limb failure ever from Hoyt ever. Now I'm not saying there's not a splinter from time to time, which is a cosmetic flare, but to say that my limb broke, the game's over. I can't go hunting. I can't go shoot a tournament working on all these customers. When I had customers and and all these people, I've yet to see a limb failure. And And I've never even heard of somebody that had it happen. I'm sure that like you said, I'm sure it's happened somewhere. Um, but I, I don't know anyone that it's ever happened to. No. And then with that said, you know, um, you know, and we're, we're, you know, I'm not one to negatively talk about others, but other companies can't say that it's game over. It's like, Hey, their limbs out, the, the hunts over the bows unshootable. I've never seen that with a Hoyt. I've never personally seen that. Now with that said, that just shows how quality their limbs are and how rigid and consistent they are deflection value wise. So I think that's why we're not going to see, massive problems with having to shift spacers and stuff. That's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. Right. 
Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Well, what were you going to say, Evan? Did I cut you off? Nope. Nope. I was just, I was agreeing with him, you know, and I, most of the users probably heard me talk before with my background as well as um, coming from a shop as a, as a tech for almost 10 years. Um, same exact way. I think the, the one time I can actually say I've seen a failure um, was actually a message that we got in through social media and come to find out the bow had been left in a case in a guy's trunk for the entire summer. And he only took it out to shoot and it went right back in. So it was like two months in 90 plus degree temperatures in a vehicle, in a trunk. Hmm. So extenuating circumstances, but again, warranty and it's, it's yeah. all taken care of. So, right. Well, it's got a pretty, they've got a pretty good record. Well, like I said, I didn't want to turn this one into a complete podcast about the 2021s. Again, it's easy, man. We could slip right into that discussion and spend our entire hour talking about them, but we've got other things to talk to you about. And, 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 and T brought up a good little uh, segue when he talked about having his Georgia buck tags already filled. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so T-Bone, whatever water he's drinking, I want you to send me some this year, Travis, because uh, you had a season to remember. And I mean, it, a lot of this happened before anybody else was even out in the whitetail woods. Your September was ridiculous. So let let me start this out. September, you killed uh, your biggest buck. At the time, it was the biggest buck that you'd ever shot. Yeah. Um, In Kansas, buck you called Dexter that went over 180, correct? Correct. Yeah, I am. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I I bought a farm. um, I, I bought a farm in Kansas back in February and we put out cameras and, you know, got it set up. Uh, thanks to COVID. I, I mean, I actually blame some of this. It, well, most of it's luck by all means. I honestly feel like I've killed two vampires and a unicorn this year, guys. So I just, <laughs> wanted to say that. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, through COVID, usually we're doing so many uh, consumer shows and banquets and doing so many public uh, appearances and stuff. I'm usually not that, uh, not that open to go travel and set up and do things like that in July and August, but August was open this year because of COVID. So went out and spent a whole week to 10 days on the farm in, in, uh, Kansas got it set up, started running cameras, had this buck that was just three times a day during daylight, you know, throughout August, all the way through velvet, first part of September. And I'm thinking, well, he's going to change, you know, it's, they always do. And, you know, so many times I've thought you don't even think about going to Kansas until later because the only guys that go early September, early muzzleloader. And this deer was so regular. I'm like, Hey, I'm crazy not to try for him. Why, Why should I pull my hair out? come November when he's doing everything you want right now. I'm like, I'm not against hunting with a bow with orange on. I got a tag. I'm going. So I went and, um, you you know, honestly, he was three times a day. Um, it, it took us the third day. Well, he came in the second night, actually, our target buck. And I passed two bucks that on any other year I would have done smoked. I mean, letting one fifties go is not my game. I don't do that. What I mean? I said, I'm going for five days at the first of the season. It's this buck or nothing, Dexter or nothing. Yeah. And uh, the, the second night he came in, but it was like three minutes before or uh, just after camera light. So uh, he came in and, you know, he was at, uh, he was eating at the, the feed station. We was on the backside of an alfalfa field, but we had corn and big and Jay out there. He came on in there and uh, 
we watched him for 35 minutes in the dark at, at 20 yards. So I was sick. So the next night he come in a good hour early and, uh, you know, the, the Hoyt found its mark and he piled up in 181 and I've got my biggest buck ever. So, wow. uh, yeah, just, just, I, I, my, my year was made right then, but while <laughs> I was in Kansas, I was getting trail cam pictures of two deer back here at the house. I, I have a uh, 67 acres right here at my house and, to have these two deer that I've, I've let go over years and I knew them very well. And, um, I, I was like, I can't wait to get back home because, you know, it really, if you've ever hunted in the Southeast, they are vampires. I mean, seriously, you, right. you never get daylights down here. Sure. And, uh, this deer was pretty much daylight and it was my son's birthday. And on uh, the 25th of September, he wanted to go to dinner. So they call on the way home from school and said, Dad, we're hungry now. We want to go now. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get to hunt him. And he had already been daylight the two days before. And I was like itching to go. And so they said, we're hungry now. Can you meet us at the restaurant at like 4 o'clock? And I'm like, yeah. So, you know, it's still late. It's still daylight till 830. So uh, we ate and we got back home about 5. And I said, I said, y'all mind if I slip off and go hunt? And I said, I'll be back here at dark. And we, you know, continue celebrating my son Archer's birthday. And yeah, right. Dad. I said, Archer, you want to go with me? He goes, no, nah, Dad, I'm just going to stay here and talk to my buddies and stuff. I said, okay. So I slipped off. I filmed myself, actually. I, I took my camera, and he came out an hour. I mean, this is unheard of. An hour before dark, walked in, walked off, walked in, walked off. 30 minutes, I got a pre-roll of him. I, I, that's unheard of. And finally, right. I, I got it to where I could shoot him and film him all at the same time. And, and uh, that, that was a whole lot harder than it sounds. Oh, my and- gosh. I mean, yeah. how, how, how many of those, it, well, it's hard on any deer, but when it's a, when it's a deer that you're like, yeah. oh man, this is, this is a buck I don't want to mess up on. And, and you're almost at the point where you're willing to say, I'm not, I don't even want to mess with this. I don't want to oh, screw yeah. up and let this opportunity go. Um, it, it, it just gives you so much more that you're trying to control and think about uh, yeah. while you're, while you're up there doing what you're doing. And this did you know at the time this is going to be your this this is the biggest buck that you've ever had an opportunity at in georgia yeah this was going to be my biggest buck in georgia and i and i felt like that i I definitely was going to be my biggest buck uh as far as my biggest buck with a bow so anyway uh got a shot at him and he ended up gross scoring 161 so i i got him holy smokes man so you killed your biggest buck ever yeah in kansas Yep. And then you killed your biggest buck in Georgia, your home state of Georgia, just a few days later. That's right. And and there was something else yeah. coming down the line too, right? So while I'm shooting that deer, the 10-pointer with my bow, I'm getting cell camera pictures of the other deer, which was uh, we call him HOG, which my son named him because of hands of God, not because he's a hog, but HOG stands for hands of God because he's got a... <laughs> kind of a tight, tight rack, not 400 yards from me down the hill. He's out in daylight the same day that I shot this deer, but where he's at was just about, I mean, where he was daylighting at was just about impossible to uh, bow hunt. So I knew that it was going to be tricky trying to set up on him. And it was only uh, 13 days away until early muzzleloader. And I said, well, we'll, we'll try that. And I, I did not want to mess up on this deer because this is a, this I didn't know he was going to score as high as he did, but uh, anyway, I, 
first day of uh, muzzleloader season, which two weeks later, he's daylight nearly every day leading up to this. And I said, man, I hope he stays on this pattern because once they get into October, then they start busting up and, you know, they, they, they're going their own way. And I figured he'd go off on the neighbor's property. There was a thousand things I was losing sleep over. But he stayed the course. The opening day, I couldn't hunt because the wind was wrong. So second day, we didn't even hunt the first day of muzzleloader. Went in the second day and he comes out 30 minutes uh, before dark and and got him. And and then that turns out to be my biggest buck ever. He, he gross scored 186. He was a non-typical. And then I just had both of those deer scored for the Georgia records. And he's going to be the number two non-typical with a muzzleloader in the entire state ever. So for all time, yeah. So, uh, I mean, you know, for, for a lot of Midwestern states and stuff, I know that's not a, you know, a a huge accomplishment, but for this fat fat footed redneck in Georgia, I was pretty tickled. (laughs) The crazy thing to me is that you have, you're a guy that hunts multiple states year in, year out. You're going to the Midwest, you're going to places that are known for, for big bucks. Um, and here after taking your biggest one ever in Kansas and then following it up with your biggest one ever in Georgia, not too long later, just a couple of weeks later, you kill your biggest ever in Georgia. Yeah. And it, you know, it makes me question what the heck is going on in Georgia. So Evan, you just did a podcast. I, what a couple of weeks ago with the seek one guys and they're killing giants down in Georgia. I mean, Georgia's not Jeez. in a state that is known for, for for big deer like this and it's it seems to be changing here you killed your biggest one ever there so what's what's contributing to that uh you know i mean we shoot hoyt bows Uh, yep that that would do it (laughs) no um the 180 inch heat seekers yeah exactly man i i you know i i think it's just been kind of the perfect storm those seek one guys have really uh you know and i'm friends with those guys too and but what they have to go through it's such a different type i don't envy them at all man because i mean i know how hard it is doing it with permission to have a lot of land and they're doing it on half acre tracks and one acre tracks and you know you you're praying that the garbage man don't come by today to spook your deer and yeah i'm telling you that's a whole different level of anxiety what they have to go through and uh but hats off to them for doing that and those deer have just gotten uh you know streetwise so to speak and they've learned to live and and those guys are capitalizing on it so hats off to them it's just no different um i think trophy you know, you, you let a deer get his age and have some nutrition. I mean, it's really no secret. You know, we've been doing that around here and this year just happened to be the perfect storm. I had two good deer that got to five and a half and six and a half years old. And, you know, they had the good nutrition and they had the genetics and just really, really fortunate. It, you know, before this, I, I mean, I'd kill a few deer in the one thirties, but it had been, I killed a one fifty two nine pointer back in 2000. So, you, you know, yeah, so they're, 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 and, and just right down the road, you know, Jeff Foxworth has got a place, Real Tree Farms is 40 minutes from here, and they're killing, you know, big deer every year. So there are pockets of them, right. but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's really no secret. You just, like it is anywhere else, you get enough birthdays, you get it right genetics, and you get the right nutrition, and, and you'll bump on up there and get you a really good deer. Well, now, was, was that a buck that you had had? 
and knew and had history with, or is he one that just kind of showed up from either a neighbor's place or something like that because you had the right food sources and the right bedding cover and just that perfect storm to pull him and keep him? Uh, no, I, I knew both of these deer for quite some time. Actually, I let that deer go last year. Um, I, I, I should have shot him last year. I, and I could have the, the non-typical one. Um, he was five and a half and I was going to shoot him and I said, no, he's really home. I mean, he really feels safe here. He's really here all the time. And we're going to go one more year. And I'm, I'm so glad I did because like I said earlier, he, he grew a, a solid 25 to 30 inches in one year. And, and I'm never that guy that says that thinks a deer jumps like that. And I'm not saying that it's anything that I did. I mean, I provide him all that stuff. But I'm not Dr. Deer. I don't know exactly what happened, but man, oh man, I mean, it was the right moon year, the right nutrition, the right amount of rain in the spring, but all things together. And that deer, both of those deer just popped, you know, 20, 25 inches easy. How, how old do you think he was when you passed him? And how old do you think he was when you took him? Well, I, I knew of him since he was three and a half. I knew, I know that he was, I know that he was five and a half last year and he was six and a half this year. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So, um, you know, and, and, you know, everybody always argues, well, you're supposed to take a deer when he's six and a half or, you know, to me, as long as the deer's mature, you know, I'm not going to sit there. You know, if it makes you happy, first and foremost, let me go on record as to say, if it's legal. Yeah. I'm high fiving you. You know, I don't yeah, care definitely. if it's a two year old. If, the, if a kid wants to shoot a two year old, I'm if it's legal, I'm fine. But if your deal is to get a bigger buck, let him be mature. You know, four and a half is maturity. And unless you know. To me, it's kind of hard to age a deer unless you know the history. I can get him to four and a half, I think, but beyond four and a half, you're rolling the dice if you gets in the yeah. late, yes, in the age, unless you know every one of his birthdays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and just for curiosity's sake, Travis, um, you've hunted a lot of places. You're you're very experienced, very knowledgeable whitetail hunter. When do you think they take their biggest jump? from four to five or from five to six, um, where do you think it is usually? You know, I, I, um, I, I can't really go on record as saying that. I mean, I, I know, I think five and a half is, I would say is the best, but then, you know, all the Texas guys will always tell you, you got to get them to six or, or six or seven. Right. So I don't know. I think there's more than just age. I think age is important for sure. You know, yep. it's it, five and a half to eight and a half is the best years. Yeah. However, you got to have good nutrition in there because if, if he has a bad, a real bad winter and he's having to use all everything just to survive, well, that next year probably he's he's going to be rebuilding his body and not worried about his horns. Yeah. Right. So, so there's a lot of things that, that contribute to that. So, um, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to give it a window. I can't pick one year, but I'm going to say five and a half to seven and a half is always going to be your best years. And then you, you hope that his genetics is in there and you hope that his good nutrition and that the, the mother nature was easy on him. Yeah. It could be completely out of your control. They just, you, yeah. you need that one year where, where something happens and any of them can blow up like that. Who knows? I, I don't know. I'm right with you by the way on yeah. if, if that's a legal animal and it makes you happy. Yeah. By golly, you, you, you take it and you'd be proud. Um, I think that every bow hunter has kind of a journey that they go on and sure. at, you know, at some point along that journey, you, you 
start getting a kick out of other things. You know, you go into your 20s and by goodness, it, it seemed like when I was in my 20s, if it was brown, it was down. <laughs> you know oh, what yeah. I mean? And then, you know, as you the, the more deer you take and the further along that journey you go, you get a thrill out of some other things. And, you know, for me, a lot of it's the experience and how how that how it all goes down and what the deer does and how he reacts and how close I'm able to get and things like that. Yeah. And now, you know, I really, I really like taking older animals. I don't care what they score. I yeah. just the challenge of trying to take those older ones. That is a lot of fun and there's, there's nothing wrong with it. And there's nothing wrong with being the guy that is taking a legal one either. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, it's kind of funny. I'll be back to reality next year for sure, guys, because, uh, <laughs> All, all from from you know going forward you know when we do these seminars people always ask you know what's the biggest deer you've ever taken and they assume because you've been on tv or been in the industry for 15 or so years you you're going to rattle off a few 190s and 200s and up until this year the biggest deer i'd ever i'd killed two bucks maybe three bucks it was right around that 160 mark and you could tell everybody's kind of like really is that all and i'm like hey i'm never and i'll tell them i'll say look i'll never be the guy that kills the 200 and they say, why is that? And I said, well, because if I think he's got enough birthdays, I'm all about first come, first serve because <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to pass a mature 140, 50 or 60 for the chance of a of a of a one, you know, a, a 190 or 200. I, I'm not going to do that, especially with well, us making it, TV shows. It's all circumstantial. Yeah. And I tell yeah, exactly. people this all the time. It's kind of like you going out after Dexter in September yeah. this year. You know he's there. You know he's around. And, you know, I tell people, hey, you hear these guys that say, never pass on day one a deer that you would pass on the final day. I say, bull, bull only. <laughs> because if I get there on day one and the first, you know, first animal that I see is some hog and I might not get a shot at him and I see that hog again the next day. I'm going to slip into, you know, especially if he's something that's special. Yeah. I'm going to slip into it's hog or nothing, you know? Yeah. And mm -hmm. well, what if all of a sudden, you know, three days into this hunt, hog disappears. He's chasing yeah. to go out onto some other place and you go day three, day four, day five, day six, and you don't see hog no more. And now you're sitting here with this tag in your pocket that, you know, you're might be a long ways from home. It might be an expensive tag. It, it might be that you just want some meat for the doggone freezer. Well, that deer that I passed up that came in right after hog on day two might look pretty good on day seven. Yeah, and, and it's like you said, circumstantial. As, as, and then also to add to that is uh, with trail cameras now, you, you got a better uh, glimpse of inventory and instantaneous inventory. So you can, uh, you know, be a lot more uh, educated in what's going on. So uh, yeah, th there, there is a lot to say about that, you know, 15, 20 years ago when we didn't have as much intel. But with today's mm -hmm. intel, you can be a little more pers persnickety if you could. If you sure, would, sure. If you and, you know, when, when you... <laughs> If you have a legitimate 200 incher that you think is going to be up in there that is truly something special, and it might not necessarily be, you know, one that's going to score 200, but something that is unique and special and that, you know, you might not have another opportunity at for a very long time. I'll, I'll let some bucks pass that I would ordinarily not let pass in order to try and take that thing. You know, there's nothing oh, wrong yeah. with that. And then when you're hunting on TV too, like, or, or if you're with an outfitter, you know, it's different here at home. I get to put a lot of days in here at home and I, and I know what he's going to go through. But when we're, 
you know, making television and, and you, you go in, you've got five days in camp and there's kind of a little bit of a gun to your head. We we're trying to make entertainment and shows and stuff. So you're not necessarily hunting for yourself anymore. You're hunting for the camera. So uh, that, that goes under that situational category, like you had just said. Sure. Yeah. yeah you're, you're absolutely right. Um, back to the Georgia thing. I've got a buddy that I used to guide with from South Georgia. Um, his grandfather owned a a place called the Gopher Plantation. I don't know if you've ever heard of that or not. I've uh, heard of it. But he's down in South Georgia, and this guy, his name's Ryan Solomon. He's out. He is one of the best hunters that I've ever been around. You know, and literally, the guy just had instincts. He could shoot any weapon that you would put into his hands. Um, he knew when to be aggressive. He knew when to be patient. He, the guy had more patience than anybody that I've ever seen. And, you know, I got talking to him one day and I was like, you know, uh, I told him, I was like, man, I, I've been around a lot of guys and you are one of the tip top that I have ever seen consistent, whether he's the one doing the hunting or whether he's guiding someone, whatever his, you, if you were coming into that camp, Ryan's the guy you wanted to end up with as your guide. And, you know, he, he told me growing up where I did down there in South Georgia, um, you know, we, it, deer, deer were hard, hard, hard to kill. They were pressured. There weren't that many of them. There aren't, you know, if you killed a 130 inch buck, boy, you really did something. Turkeys, you know, they started gobbling when they were, you know, a year and a half old. And the first time they started gobbling out loud. Somebody came along and shot, shot their buddy Bill right out from underneath them. You know, they learned to, to shut their mouths pretty quick and get real tough to hunt. And he says, if you, if you can get proficient on those critters down there, I felt like I could be proficient on anything. And I mean, watching how his turkey techniques really helped him with elk when he came out here and had to learn how to be an elk hunter. Um, holy smokes it honed him in really well and we were just talking about you know how the deer hunting in georgia it, it, you've never been known for big deer but even down there where he's hunting in the last few years he's been he'll send me pictures of the occasional 150 160 it seems like that maybe maybe people are just getting better at deer management down there and not necessarily taking a buck when you know as soon as he's a a forky or, or whatever yeah. year and a half old deer and letting some of those walk. But it seems like Georgia at least. And I don't know if the same can be said for some of the other Southern States, but man, there's quality being taken there. It just blows my mind that your biggest buck was ever was taken from Georgia this year. Yeah. And it's, um, I, I think it's a combination of everything guys doing more trophy management, practicing, planting the right stuff, minerals, uh, letting deer go because of, um, you know, trail cameras, more education on that. And then plus the guys are just figuring out how to hunt them and realizing, you know, uh, what, what would have been nocturnal that they never get to see, just realizing that you got it on your property because of the trail cameras and knowing that your neighbors are doing the same thing. I think, you know, overdoing that for the last eight or 10 years is, is paying off for everybody. So, that's, and, and it's in the other Southern states are doing the same thing. Alabama, uh, we just have legalized baiting. So we've never had baiting until like three years ago. So, uh, you know, that's that's getting you more 
uh, Intel as well because uh, you're, you're able to get more pictures and people are more excited about it and more people in the woods. So therefore people are, are hunting and such. So I think it's a combination of all of the, all of those things. Right. Well, and it, it, your season wasn't over then. I'm, I'm actually looking at a big eight point that you took in Oklahoma still yeah. after all of this stuff, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, if we back up, I, I took a deer um, third day of season in Kentucky, uh, the very first of September. So September the 5th, I took a high 130s uh, buck there and like a well high 130s, 140 kind of buck in Oklahoma as well. So yeah yeah so your freezer is full this year and i'm 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 looking at your uh your instagram page right now and i don't know how i happened to miss that kentucky buck but that's a that's a good buck too yeah that's a what are those main beams holy cow yeah i i I never even put a tape on him actually now that's a eastern that's a mountain buck i mean that that's the eastern part of the state, which is yeah. you know, where where the elk are. So that that that's a most people don't even <laughs> don't even associate uh, that part of the state with good bucks. But man, at where we at in Pulaski County, the, uh, there's there's some pretty good stompers there. I just did a little quick math. So just to put this in perspective. T Bone had 470 inches of whitetail antler on the ground by the end of September this year. <laughs> he just went on three elk hunts. <laughs> no, dude, that's insane. That's insane, no. and that's not even adding some of the. And what I wanted to get to this too, you're not the only bone collector that had something special happen this year. Um, yeah. Nick had something happen. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I don't know if you caught to catch that show, but man, I'm everything that went could go wrong. He dropped his release. Um, everything that could go wrong went wrong, and then he still got back. It climbed down, got his release, climbed right back up. And this deer's chasing a doe all underneath him while this is going on. And then the buck comes back by, and he, you know, he puts air in it. And you know, we're all thinking, I mean, you know, how many times do you see a deer that big? You know, and you're, you know, you, you think, oh yeah, man, he's probably brought it back and we all just look at it and you're thinking like mid 180s high 180s maybe 190 and then it goes 210 so it just goes to show we're not used to looking at those things when you started counting up all that witchcraft it gets up over 200 pretty quick that is unbelievable i don't want to steal i'm sure that we'll have nick on here and i don't want to steal his thunder um but that is that, that's his biggest deer ever i'm i'm sure isn't it it is yeah and actually you'll you'll appreciate this his uh his biggest deer till date was a 175 Colorado buck. Was it really? Yeah, his biggest buck was a, a 175 Colorado until he killed that one, and he shattered that number by a lot. You know, it <laughs> seems to me like I knew somebody that he hunted that big deer in Colorado with, and I can't can't remember the story on it. I'll have to get reminded of it before uh, uh, before we have him on. But yeah. that that's amazing. So both of you two killed your biggest bucks ever this year like i said whatever you guys are drinking um i i want some of it (laughs) (laughs) your luck man i promise you yep just yep probably won't kill but two slick heads next year but this year was a good one well it's funny when it comes to whitetails um you know i always felt like you know i think me and you were about the same age um and uh i i always felt like we we miss the heyday you know, in when I was younger, like the heyday was prior to my days. And now I'm 
getting to the point where I I don't think we miss the heyday. I think no, we're, no, no. I think we're in the heyday right now. Yeah, you know, maybe for whitetail. I think for muleys, I think it's. Well, we're talking whitetails, Evan. I said for whitetails before I said that sentence. <laughs> My wife hit her heyday. You look at this one right there. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You've killed some. You and your wife for, have been killing some big ones. For, nope. for those of you who can't see what we're pointing at, my wife killed 171 inch whitetail. That's her first buck ever of her life, and that is why I don't hunt whitetail because I'm never going to top it. There's no point in trying. I'm not even going to do it anymore. <laughs> that's that's like your first football game's the Super Bowl. You know what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Travis, oh, killed, my- Travis killed two 180s this year. How can you say you're never ever going to be able to? I I lost one. You know, in 2015. That is, we think that he was he was a giant. He was giant, giant, giant. You see me videos of that? Like I remember being in the shop and you going look at this guy. Yeah, I mean we're. we're I, I think he might have hit the magic number, um, uh, and it, you know that was what a hundred miles from from your home in Kansas, you're, where you grew yeah. up. So, you, boy, you can well, hear they're, it. They're around. Me being able to find them and hunt them is is yeah. a, another story right I, now. So. I understand. Well, looking at your, um, like I said, I'm sitting here looking at your social media page, your Instagram page, Travis. And for anyone that doesn't Travis or, or that doesn't follow T-Bone on Instagram, uh, his at is is at T-Bone Outdoors. Um, T-Bone's Instagram page is the funniest dang thing. I, I, I take that back. It's a balance of of bow wrenching, hunting, some serious stuff and some serious messages, you know, that you want to get across to people, you know, and, and then the comedy. And I, I call it sing along with T-Bone. He's been doing these these deals where i don't know what he just gets it in his blood that i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna do a lip sync of this song and if i need to if i'm having a bad day and and need a quick smile <laughs> some of them things are just hilarious man it i've enjoyed watching your instagram page for well, that year. i appreciate it i um yeah, I know. Sometimes I question myself. I'm like, I can't believe I just posted that. And then I think, like, how old are you, T-Bone? Like, you know what? I enjoy doing that. It's I know it's like uh, it's almost like karaoke night. You know, I guess I take it kind of serious, but I don't know. It's kind of fun. And I, and I got to thinking, like, so many people. I mean, I've always been this way, like, especially this year. It's been nothing but gloom and doom all over the news. Yeah. And I mean, like, man, we need to smile. I mean, regard. I mean, you don't get sucked into that that negative cesspool. Oh. I mean, like, man, let's smile and laugh. Let's don't forget, you know, that there's more to life than just getting sucked into that stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's, it's very important, but man, we can't dwell on that. Let's smile and, and move on, you know, I so agree. I agree. Trying, to, trying to make things a little lighthearted and, you know, you, you definitely can't say that we got an ego or, or we, uh, we uh are aren't we're not shy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh my goodness, some of these things are just absolutely hilarious. I'm I'm just scrolling through some of your stuff right now. But you're you're right, man. Um, I think me and you have talked about it offline before. That you know, you get to the point where you got to stop watching the news. Yeah, yeah. Just you get depressed, and, and it's so easy 
when you're when you get sucked into all of that and the complete polarization that we're experiencing right now, you know, in this country, you got to step back and you got to yeah. realize that if you were if if you were lucky enough to be born in the United States of America, yeah, it's literally like you won you won the lottery. Yeah. And it, it, unless you've been to some of these other places around or, or around this world, I don't care who you are or how you how your family got here. If you were born here and you're a citizen of, of this country, you're a lottery winner. You're, yeah, you're, you are so you are blessed beyond anything that you that you even realize. Yeah, I, I um, you, you 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 said it right. I mean, one, the, no matter how bad it is, it could always be worse. Is the way I look at it, and we, we are lottery winners as Americans and stuff. But I look at it like this: I vote, I voted, uh, I did my due diligence. I actually tried to spread the word big time with what little platform that that I have or we have. But in the scheme of things, I, I'm only going to control the things that I can control. So therefore, I'm going to shoot my bow. That's group therapy. I'm going to, you know, uh, work on my, my passion is diesel therapy. I guess you could say I love just improving land. And, you know, we, going back to what you said, you know, I get more out of hunting than just sitting there and killing. And, you know, the, the few days that you hunt during the season, I enjoy the management process you know, 12 months out of the year and the prepping and the, and the, you know, the planning and stuff, I get so much out of that. And there's a lot to be said for the guy that goes that's shooting the 3d league. I mean, back, back when I shot 3d so much, you know, you go to the archery shop, you hang out there, you pick the knowledge, you socialize. That was the original Facebook going to the archery shop and you're shooting your bow and you're, you're working on your gun and these kind of things. So, you know, let, let's focus on that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Watch the news, get a little bit of news, but don't get sucked into this. Don't let it totally derail you from the happy lifestyle and outdoor and country living that we have. Right. You know, still go to your archery shops, go to your tournaments and, and, and you know, do the things that make you proud and, 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 and have it a, 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 a I'm not going to say profitable, but a, a productive lifestyle and 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 enjoy life because we've only got one of them and we might as well make it a happy one because i see so many people that just spend hours on the news all day long and they're none they're none the wiser they're none the better and they ain't done anything but just got bitter and then they've caused grief within their circle because of that so pay attention vote the way you need to vote but let's let's focus on the great outdoors you know god's renewable resources has never let us down well, you said a mouthful just a few minutes ago when you said control the things that you can control. Yeah. And, you know, do what you can to control the things that you can control and the things that you can't take them with a grain of salt and don't let them ruin your day. Don't. Yeah, let exactly. Them, you know what I mean? Um, and it's 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 hard not to do sometimes. It, it's easy to get easy to get sucked into that mode. Yeah. But boys, I. I think we're right at about an hour right now. Did you have anything that you wanted to do to wrap it up here, Evan? I I just love the stories. I could just sit here and listen I know, all day. I could too. I, honestly, I, I, I get quiet on these podcasts just trying to soak everything in. And, and T, you're such a wealth of knowledge. And I know we talk quite a bit on and off the phone when it comes to tuning or, or anything like that. And, and especially this year with the struggles that I had. Um, I appreciate you being there through, through a lot of that and, and instilling some confidence in me to, to keep going on. So Absolutely. man, it's just, just great having you on and getting to sit down and have the conversation with you. 
Oh, absolutely. My pleasure, man. I, I mean, you know, I, I think the world of, of you guys and so many people in the industry, it's a, and it's a, an extended family for sure. And even most of the listeners, you know, I mean, it's real easy to sit here and say fans, but, you know, fans of Hoyt or fans of Bone Collector or whatever, but we, we don't think of them that way. It's just an extended family. And there's no, there's really no difference between me, us and anybody other than uh, there's a camera in our face. So, you know, we're, we're so thankful for the platform we have and we're so thankful for, you know, um, the, the great companies that we work with and, and man, I, I, I appreciate everything. I really do. I, I mean, it really blessed to get to do what we get to do. That's for sure. Well, yeah, real quick. I thought of something while you were just talking, you're, are you just as big a Turkey guy as you are deer guy or even close? Look at me, man. I'm a big <laughs> as anything, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a, I, I do like them, but I am nowhere near as mad at turkeys as Waddell is. Oh, really? Um, I, oh, Waddell is obsessed with turkey hunting. And I mean, and don't, don't get me wrong. I, 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 I do turkey hunt and try to tag out here in Georgia and right. maybe go on a trip or two or, uh, to a different state. I was going to go to Kansas last year um, and hunt my farm, but um, with COVID, we didn't travel. It was kind of early on in the COVID, so I didn't go anywhere. But, yeah, but um. And, and I usually go to Kentucky and hunt with my cousins, but, uh, we, you know, they wouldn't let you travel, so I didn't get to go. But um, what I like to do in the spring is is even, uh, you know, whether we film it or not, is bow fishing. I, I love bow fishing because I'm like uh, – Nick always says that I like to bow fish because the fish don't run when you rattle a Cheetos bag. So that's why. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, but, I, was, I love bow fishing because you get so many shots and you can fellowship and it's, it's uh, you know, cool to do in the evenings. Well, I was just thinking out loud because we definitely want to have you back on uh, yeah. sometime soon. Uh, maybe we can do it during turkey season. Maybe we can go at it, do it going into this next year and and talk about how you're getting things ready in Kansas and, and what you're seeing and, and what yeah. your prospects are for the season. But we look forward to talking to you again, regardless. Oh, absolutely. Anytime, man. Just like we started off, any of the, the wrench and stuff, I'd be glad to. But I may not be the best guy to – talk to about turkey hunting well i shouldn't say that maybe turkey hunting with a bow i've killed a few turkeys with a bow but i believe god put the turkey on the, the <laughs> earth and shot in the face with a shotgun i swear <laughs> that's one animal that was designed for a shotgun and I, I know i know lots of people who would completely agree with you and personally i i have not shot a turkey with a shotgun since 2003 and wow yeah, I, I'm I'm addicted to hunting them with a bow. Um, I think it's I think it was two thousand for me. Yeah, and, wow. And well, come come down so, here and a Georgia Eastern with a bow. Well, <laughs> I I know this guy's got a decoy company that we could probably <laughs> do that way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't tempt me too much. Uh, yeah. We'll we'll see what happens, but anyway, Travis, it was it was great having you on here. Can't wait to do it again. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, everybody get out and, and try to get your hands on one of those new 2021 Hoyts. You are going to be amazed just like we are, I guarantee. And that, we will talk to you guys sometime soon on the next podcast. Have a great day. Thank you guys. Enjoy. Enjoy.